welcome to Singing the Blues. I'm Dom Housen. And I'm James Marriott. Do you remember when the only concern we had was whether or not we're going to have stripes on the shirt? <laughs> oh, the happier, simpler days they were. Right then, um, Brentford, Saturday, 5-0. Um, you know, the words that, that were used by Gary Monk, embarrassing, um, uh, worst defeat, worst moment of his football career. He didn't really mince his words. Fans didn't really mince their words afterwards. Things are getting worse rather than getting better. Pfft, where are we? What's going on? Uh, it's harder to put your, your finger on it, isn't it? It's, it's a multitude of problems and they, they keep piling up. Uh, I think we should start off by saying that Brentford are a really good side. They, I, I, I know it's not easy to say that and admit that, and we're obviously focusing on all the flaws and problems and weaknesses that Wednesday have right now, but Brentford are four for a reason, and they, they showed that on Saturday with the quality they've got in that front three uh, and the season they've had, the identity the plan they have, the strategy that we constantly talk about, that's in place. Uh, and so you've you've got to take your hat off to Brentford. They're moving into a new stadium next season. So they just feel like a club on the up and up. But then saying all that, they actually entered Saturday's match on the back of, I think, was it four matches, if not five matches without a win? So you're thinking that, oh, you know what, they might be panicking a little bit or it might be an opportunity if Wednesday could go there and actually set up with some that, sort of there semblance is, of defensive structure. Hope, that's what you're describing. Well, uh, well, you're thinking hope and optimism. We were sort of clutching to that, really, weren't we? After the Manchester City effort, we thought... Well, okay, maybe if Wednesday show that sort of heart, organisation, discipline, if they show that at Brentford, then they might have half a chance of getting a result. It didn't really work out that way. Uh, Just a bit. But it's, it's when you actually pick through the goals and when you, you, when you look at them on the replay, uh, they get worse with every viewing. Uh, and, and some of them, to use Gary Monk's terminology after the match they were inexcusable and really just rank bad so so terrible the right you, know, you pick apart the third goal they scored in that first half so Josh Windass I don't think it would have been a turning point even if he had scored and taken the best chance that Wednesday had in in the opening 45 minutes that would have maybe made it 2-1 I still think Brentford would have won uh, so I don't think it would have for one moment changed the contest but then for the goalkeeper to take a goal kick and then three passes later it's in the back of Wednesday's net from the restart uh, was shambolic I, I I was kind of thinking as, as you kind of started talking there about um, let's not forget that Brentford are good and that's very true but I don't think they had to do very much to win that game on Saturday because of the kind of thing that you described there for the goal and there were examples where they didn't score where they probably should have done when when Wednesday really just laid it on a plate um, and the the astonishing thing I mean look I, I was in the away end and anyone that's been in the away end at Brentford unless you're right at the front your view of the game's not not great and I had a couple of people in front I mean most people are taller than me but I had a couple of people in front of me that were a bit taller so I, I mean I, I once it kind of got to 2-0 3-0 I wasn't that bothered that I couldn't see what was going on to be honest I just accepted it um I've not watched anything back I can't bring myself to do it I don't want to put myself through that so I, I've got kind of just what I've got in my head and what I've pieced together from talking to people but I know that it was bad it was you know it, it was bad um and it was I think the, the the thing that bothers me, there's a lot of things that bother me. The, one of the things that bothers me the most is that this is not like we put out the academy team. These are experienced, um, very experienced pros. That kind of collapse so early on in a match is, it's beyond inexcusable. It should be sackable. It, it really is. It, it's totally, totally unacceptable. You can't sack the players. players. 
You what, sorry? You can't sack the players. I know you can't sack the players, but you should. For something like that, you should be able to sack them because there there are professional footballers, even if they weren't that experienced, just being a professional footballer, some of the things that happened in that first half, uh, you just that, it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And for it to be experienced professional footballers who've yeah, been there and done it is it, just appalling. Well, I think that comes back to the deep-rooted issues, the culture that Gary Monk has spoken an awful lot about ever since they lost at Wigan. Uh, right. uh, and so he's talked a lot about mentality and uh, there are, I think, problems out of his control, which are true. Uh, and for me, the players, they have to take so much accountability for what happened on Saturday. I, 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 Can you see that happening though? Uh, well this is week I, after I week after week that we think maybe this is the turning point maybe this is the turning point we said last week yeah. on the podcast and I've not listened back to it because again I can't bring myself to do it but I think we said there's no point as putting in a defensive performance like that against City if we go and lose 4 or 5 nil at Brentford right and that, we said that as a joke mm. and it happened um, I mean how how long can this go on before we stop saying the players have got to take responsibility and we accept that these, not every one of them, but the majority of them, they're just they're just bad. They're either bad footballers or they're bad people. You say, well, hang on, but you say that. We weren't talking about any of this three months ago, were we? When they were third, we weren't questioning whether, oh, they're bad people or the bad footballers. I think it's confidence. It really is. Like, confidence has drained out of the team. And as soon as Brentford scored after 10 minutes, you could see heads went down. And it, not for the first time this year, it was like the white flag went up and it was the timid surrender. And that, as, as the fans packed that away end, and you were one of them, for the 1,600-plus who travelled, like, that's the part that is not good enough that's you know for you know, you need to see some fight and it's almost as if the players they don't realise that with this points deduction that's looming over their heads it's like they're sort of going through the motions and the, yeah, this is sort of the point that you get with nine games to go when you're 15th in the table and you know you can't go up and down and you get these in different performances but with what's hanging in the background that's what makes it worse, doesn't it? Is is that it? And then when they are getting hammered, or, or when they're putting in these poor performances that we're seeing, uh, it, that's it. Just makes it more frustrating and disappointing when you know what they're capable of. And we've seen it at Middlesbrough, Nottingham Forest away, Brentford at home. So we have seen it, but we don't see it anywhere near consistently enough. And then this year, we've just seen, I would say, you could think of four or five performances on one hand that have been dire, appalling and absolutely pathetic, some of them. The worrying thing is, when you try and think of the performances that have been good this year, because you'd look at, obviously we went to Brighton and won in the Cup, but that, that was a turning point in the season. Uh, and not a positive one because that's when Stephen Fletcher got injured and, and that does seem to have really knocked us off track. There's a lot more to it than just Stephen Fletcher getting injured, but um, it's it, since then. We, we won at Leeds, fair enough. It wasn't like a, a, a fantastic performance, Leeds. We did a job there, yeah. but actually Leeds will look back on missed chances, right? And, and we look at that through blue-tinted spectacles no. because no, when you know, we scored two late goals and, yeah, and we won the game. Yeah. Um, Beyond that, you can talk about City, which again, it wasn't vintage. You know, it was just a bit of a back to the wall, very negative, stern performance. We still lost the game. I can't think of any performance this this year that I think was good. And you the, know, the only other one that I, I we're thought counting was, down to Easter now. No, I, I thought the only other one that was all right, and I would say nothing more than all right, was Charlton. But Charlton are in free fall and are one of the worst teams in this league. So to have twenty odd shots at home against them. I wouldn't say that's anything to write home about. Uh, but the problem with that game and, and the problem with that week, because uh, we'd had the, the Birmingham 
um, was it Birmingham? Yeah, Birmingham away. B- before that, and, and, and arguably Birmingham away was a better performance than Charlton at home yeah. because it was away. Um, but that should have that week should have been the turning point, and it wasn't. It, it, it's it's got worse since then, and and uh, you. All right, we were third in the table at, at Christmas, and things were looking rosy. But I, I want to take you back to two or three times while we've been doing this podcast. I've talked about concerns about look, this club's just not right, you know. And I've used the phrase "rotten" from top to bottom, and and you've disagreed with me on that. You've called me out on on that, um, and that's that's fine. But I've got to go back to that because you know we've now got Gary Monk talking about deep rooted issues he, Gary Monk even hinting that he's not even just talking about on the pitch stuff he's talking about the club as a whole having deep rooted issues mm-hmm. and this is something that th- this is it's not going to just go away now if we if we win a couple of games and stay comfortably in the in the championship mm-hmm. i'm going on the assumption right now that the the EFL thing will get pushed past the end of March and whatever happens will kick in next season. That I've, I've got to go on that assumption. Otherwise, we're getting relegated and I'm not ready to start thinking about that right now. So let's assume that Wednesday actually turn out a couple of decent performances, get even a, probably a couple of points would actually be enough for us to secure championship status for this season. But, you know, let's say Wednesday get a couple of wins and we think, right, okay, let's just put this season behind us. Those deep-rooted issues are not going away. Gary Monk, I have a lot of sympathy for him. Whatever he's doing is not working in terms of turning those things around. And um, when I think about, well, we've got the summer to bring in new players and sort it all out. Do I think come next August, or come this August, that I'm going to sit back and go, oh, everything's fine now? I've got no confidence that that will be the case. No confidence at all that as a football club right now, Sheffield Wednesday are going anywhere well, right and, and I don't, this said, is not me this is not me saying no. i think chancery should go it's not me saying no. i think chancery is this that or the other i'm not trying to single anyone out i'm not trying to annoy anyone by saying this i'm just saying as a fan trying to take a look at what is happening right now at sheffield wednesday um so many people that are close to the club you know i've seen stuff that people have put on twitter about what players said to fans when they were going off the pitch at, at brentford and you know different hints and stuff like that and you th- You've got to take everything with a pinch of salt, but there's there's so many pieces of a jigsaw that when you take a step back, you start to see what that picture is, and that picture is not good right now. No, Wednesday fans have every right to be concerned at the direction that the club are heading in. I think going back to the deep-rooted issues that Gary Monk said, fundamentally, what he was referencing there was, he said, quote-unquote, that with this group of players, it's impossible for them to be successful, which you can't get more damning than that as a manager. So he he has gone, the squad I'm working with is not up to it. And we know that there will be a clear out this summer and that there are eight senior players out of contract. The lone players will go back. And I tell you, unless there's a huge turnaround for the lone players, they won't be returning either. Uh, so that's 11 players. Matt Penny, you could throw in as well as someone else. So that's 12. How how many of them realistically are Wednesday going to keep? I, w- I would say two or three maximum. And for me, it would be Fox, Fletcher and Penny. The rest at the moment, I, I, I can't make a case for them to stay. Uh, so... That's going to be a huge turnover straight away in players. Uh, But when you're then, of course, looking at the bigger picture, I do still stand by my point where the recruitment was heavily criticised post-Wembley, and rightly so. That's cost this club big time over the last few years. There's no getting away from it. But when you do look at the last three to four transfer windows... I do think there have been signs, small baby steps of improvement when you look at Luongu, Harris, Berner, uh, and uh, Iorfa. So yeah. there are fruits there or, or green shoots of recovery, uh, I would say, in recruitment that perhaps this club are learning lessons. And, and that's one of the biggest that they've ha- right, you know they've made mistakes uh, and that has certainly cost them uh, I also would say actually this week 
it's encouraging to see that the chairman, he's had some informal meetings with fans. So he's not having sort of a steering group or fans forums that we've seen in the last few years. And that I think he is wanting to, again, engage with the fans. So you can't criticise him for that. And I think that that's positive in that he is trying to speak to, you know, so those are some fans who have written into the club, some of his biggest detractors probably, but rather than shying away, he's facing it head on uh, and he's looking at what I can do to try and address the problems that we have, appease the fans and hopefully get them back on side. That's what needs to happen. This club, it's divided right now. Uh, you feel as if there's a disconnect, isn't there? With the, the fans, I would say, from the ones I talk to, I feel like this is probably the most disconnected that they felt with their football club in years. Yeah, I mean, you know, you... Um I don't know how much of this you, you picked up because I know the acoustics are weird, but uh, at Brentford on Saturday in the away end, um, when when it got to a certain point of the game and we realised this is another you know calamity performance, that rather than being anger, it was quite jovial. It, it was, you know, what what's the daftest song that someone can come up with that reflects the situation that we're in right now? Kiss or whatever will be, will be, we're going to Shrewsbury yeah. was a, a, a highlight. And, and you know, loads of other ones that you just kind of think it's got to the point now that all we can do is laugh um, and you think you know is that is that commendable on fans for doing that or is that actually just a real damning verdict on where we are right now that fans have stopped even being angry about it it's just like this yeah. is who we are right now now that or I, I, and I appreciate that um, I we know how Chancery does things now Right, and and I get that, and you know he is owner of the club, and he can do things however he wants. Um, and I know that, um, you know he's he he does get you know a little bit worried about um talking too much in public because of the fact that if there's something that gets a little bit lost in translation, we've seen before that it can be picked apart by fans and made to seem something that it that it isn't. And he's quite an emotional guy as well, and sometimes he'll say something in public and it goes you know huge, and actually he probably didn't really mean to say it, or he meant to say it in a different way, or, or whatever. Um, but but, you know, you uh, and all right, let's let's if, if there's anyone listen to this that also listens to the Owls About Stat podcast, right, that I do with James, who lives in New York and Peter in Denmark. And this is not a blowing smoke up ourselves thing. But if you go back to the first episode of that that we did, which is more than two years ago, right, and listen to the stuff that we, and the predictions about where we're heading from an FFP point of view and the ways in which we can tackle that. Right. And every word of that. Has, has either come true or is still relevant in terms of needing someone at the top who knows what they're doing in terms of, of, of directing a football club to where it needs to be. Sporting director, director of football, even chief executive, right? We have none of those, right? We just have one person that pretty much does everything. I think that's where, um, for and, me, and I would like to see someone come in. As much to This take, is where we need no, to see... It's all no, right saying that yeah. you know, we've seen improvements yeah. in yeah. Um, player recruitment, but if that is not part of a bigger package that makes us think, all right, we've learned our lessons. Just saying, well, we've signed some all right players. Well, okay, but what, what does that... You know, it, How does that fit into everything else? It's just buying a few decent players. You know, if you've got a few nice clothes in your wardrobe, it doesn't make you well-dressed. You know, it, it just needs... It needs way, way more than a few examples of decent recruitment, even if it's just, all right, well, this is how recruitment works. This is what we do now. You know, we've got these people that do some stat work for us and that means that we identify players and we do, you know, we need to see something. And normally I would say that football clubs probably shouldn't have to be so public about the way that they do things, but this is the situation that we're in. This club has lost the fans now and winning a few games is not going to turn that round because... We've been here too many. We've been here for twenty years now, right? We've been here for a long time, and there's been a few little ups, but it's it's constantly been reasons to drive uh, a wedge between fans and club, I, and I, we're I think, further apart than I've ever yeah. known it right now. Wouldn't disagree with you. I think we've reached the point now of where, and this is what happens when, of course, results nosedive, uh, and uh, everything. Fan-wise, right now, they're now. It's not just on the pitch where the concerns and worries are. It's clearly what's happening off the pitch, and so I do think maybe we have reached that stage where, you see, we've we've seen a lot over the last couple of months of fans 
uh, and particularly on social media, we've seen a huge rise of fans wanting to, clarity, and I understand it, over the role of Amadou Paxel in terms of recruitment. We know that he is a uh, an advisor to the chairman and that uh, you know that he yeah, he's a friend of the chairman. But I, I think this is where you do want the leadership from the top of where I think the, the club can nip this in the bud where if the chairman or whoever just comes out and again gives fans that clarity over how influential he is when it comes to recruitment and then that it's just the end of the matter uh, and and this is it I feel like it, it's a little bit maybe unfair as well some of the criticism that gets levelled at him as again do the do the fans know? Do, do the media? Does everybody know? Actually, how involved is he? Right? Who who does he make or have input on all signings? Uh, what, what signings are more his than say David Downs or Dean Hughes or Gary Monk? So I think that would be another step of where a lot of people from the outside, I think, are looking at Amadou Paxson and thinking, well, effectively, he's the sporting director of this football club. And so he's the one that gets a lot of hammer, especially through these bad times. Not so much at Wembley when he was on the scene or the year after. That wasn't when the flack was coming and the criticism as much. But now, and that's where we've only really publicly from a manager ever had, um, uh, you know, it's only been Steve Bruce who's ever talked about Amadou Paxel and his involvement and his role in the football club. And I think that the chairman or whoever coming out and just saying exactly what he does, as he's effectively, from the outside looking in, you think he's part of senior management. That's what he is. Uh, and so he may be almost the acting CEO, or again, or certainly one of the close advisors to the chairman. So I think... Let's have some closure on that. And then again, maybe that will help bring people around. But I think that's what one of the m many, many issues right now that fans want answers over. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, this has been the case for two, two and a half, three years now that people have been saying, well, who is this guy? What involvement does he have? We've not had that answer yet. I, I, have I got any faith that that suddenly we're going to have this new era of openness from the the club and 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 I mean we'll we'll talk a bit more about that in a minute but um and and suddenly it'll be like well this is exactly who people are and what they do I I don't think any of that really gets away from the fact that well whatever we're doing it ain't working so it needs changing yeah you know, just kind of explaining to us how it works or being open about it doesn't change the fact that suddenly we're going to go all right well that's fine then you know I I don't no. I I I don't even necessarily want openness. What I want is a team that doesn't go to Brentford and lose 5-0. I, I want something that works. However, it gets to that point, then fine. But I've got no faith that the system at the moment is has worked or is going to work moving forward. We are right now in the worst position that we've been in since the Chancery era started. And I don't know if that reflects in, in league position directly. We've probably been a little bit lower. But in terms of where we're at, prospects, you know, I, I would go through the list of things but it's too depressing. The number of players that are out of contract, the fact that none of us are bothered that they're out of contract, the FL charge hanging over us, all the other things that we can go through. You know, We don't own our, our own stadium anymore. We're just coming off the back of an absolutely desperately dire defeat. You know, this is as bad as it really gets. And I know there'll be fans that have been following Wednesday for you know, 50, 60 years who'll say, look, it's been worse. And I'm, I'm sure it has. But we are where we are right now. And the problem is mm -hmm. that that word that we touched on earlier on, the problem is hope that at the moment it's so hard to see where that hope comes from. So I appreciate that it, 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 it where we are right now, yes, we probably need clarity on what certain people's involvement is. But does that give us the hope that no. in the future it's going to turn things round? I think what we need no, is some no, clarity on I where think, it is yeah. and 
how how are things going to now change that are going to stop a repeat of the situation that we've got on got into with a squad of players several of whom are experienced expensive pro footballers that are training with the academy team or just staying at home it's just this is a a, such an awful awful situation that we're in right now what we need from chancery is a promise and evidence that we will not get even close to this situation again if we are calling this in the summer that it's clean slate and we start from scratch right get even some of the players that are under contract ship them out if we can get rid of them release them don't matter just start afresh right if we have to bring in players on freeze from league two clubs that's got to be better than where we are right now if that's what it takes then that's fine but we need to know now, we need some evidence that that is going to happen. So I don't, from my point of view, it's not about necessarily answers. It's about seeing a bit of evidence of, all right, yeah, these are the answers. And we've used these answers to realise this is where we need to mm-hmm. go now. I don't think we're going to get any sort of evidence of the future um and get some answers on where the club are going to go. And so I think it will be in the summer. I think that things will become maybe, hopefully, a bit clearer. But I think that's really the first proper chance uh, and time that we'll get some evidence to see, you know, have the club learn from the mistakes that they have made over the last few years. And they have have made a number of costly errors particularly when it comes to the players and and that's where it, it's it's so um crazy to think that yeah you know, even the out of contract players who are going that you know the expensive signings going for nothing and when's they've been paying huge money and wages and on transfer fees at the time and and that's not forward thinking. Is that you know players are now going to be leaving the summer for nothing, and so the, the the club have lost money on them. It's as simple as that, haven't they? So yeah, it there's it's, where's the positivity at the moment? The, 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 there, there, there isn't really any, and so we're now pretty much crossing our fingers and hoping that the team will have one of their really, really good days on Saturday and this weekend and complete the double over Forest. That's what we're... But we are hoping. We're not expecting, are we? Maybe earlier on in the season we were expecting, but now we don't know what to expect. I think it's I think it's full circle now. I think we are expecting, but I think what we're expecting is defeat. I think that um, hoping is optimistic. You know, said earlier that, that hope just doesn't doesn't seem to be there you know we had a bit I think coming off the back of um, the City game and, and you know the second half performance against Derby as well that that was enough to give us a bit of hope you know maybe we can go to Brentford and give them a, a game at least we won't roll over and die and what happened you know that's that's exactly what happened should we cheer ourselves up and have a listen back to what Gary Monk had to say after, oh, definitely. after, the, after the Brentford game so here's Gary Monk speaking after the 5-0 defeat at Griffin Park on Saturday it's not very often in, in my life I've been lost for words really um Nothing short of embarrassing, if I'm honest with you. Um, yeah, inexcusable. I thought we were hiding today. I thought we hid from the responsibilities of what you face on a football pitch. Um, the one thing you need on a football pitch, regardless of anything else, is heart. And um, I don't think we showed any of that today. And um, as I said, um, it was an embarrassment. It's probably the most embarrassed I've ever felt um, involved in football. In, um, in all my time so um, I can only apologise to those fans behind the goal and all those fans back home they don't deserve this they don't deserve that type of performance um, yeah I feel as embarrassed as they do I think that's a deep rooted issue um, I think that's been over quite a long time period of time that that's been the case and and um, and yeah unfortunately that's the case for myself um, in this period that we've had so um said many times before they train very well they train hard um, a lot of it you don't see coming um, and then you get that on a football pitch it's, um, yeah, it's not acceptable um, but ultimately as well I have to sh- I share that responsibility if not I have the most responsibility to that um, I'm the one that has to lead that team and lead those players I try and do that on a daily basis try and be as strong as possible with that um, 
and clearly not getting the response that, that you need consistently enough in um, in this period. So um, I understand that, and um, all I can say is, as I said, it's probably the most embarrassed I've ever felt on a, to be involved in a football match. So we've not really talked about any individuals yet from the um, Brentford game, and there's there's probably one or two that we do need to touch on. Um, we're going to have to talk about the goalkeeping situation because it was the subject of our opinions last week. If I grab my phone, I can kind of give the result of that because we talked about the uh, performance of Joe Wildsmith against City. Well, I've, I've we, made we it clear that, that yeah, we thought yeah. that Cameron Dawson would come back in. Um, I, I, I've made it clear this week, James, that I think on the back of what happened at Brentford, that I think there has to be a change now. Uh, but I'm not convinced that there will be. Well, leading up to the uh, Brentford game, so this um, this poll ended before kickoff against Brentford. In fact, it ended before the team was announced, so just before two o'clock on Saturday. Um, 86% of people said Wildsmith. Um, it, it wasn't even close, eighty-six to fourteen. So um, you know that was pretty damning. Um, one of the things you know, I talked about the fact that the atmosphere in the away end actually wasn't particularly toxic. But one of the things that that was was during the first half, there were times when you could hear people shouting stuff at Cameron Dawson. Um, there's a point where the ball went behind the goal for a goal kick, and I think there was a fan that took the opportunity to hang on to the ball to give Cameron Dawson a piece of his mind. And it's like that's the stuff where it's it's toxic. There's fans that have also kind of talked about the fact that, you know, Cameron Dawson's body language didn't seem that bothered about the fact that he conceded some of the goals that he'd conceded. Um, yeah, I'm not, this is not me singling out Cameron Dawson trying to say anything about him. It's, it's indicative actually of just the situation we're in at the right now in terms of, um, you know, where that, that squad is and just how bad things are. But the, the first goal you know, that 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 shouldn't happen. Um, he, he should he should you know, get the get the ball to a safer area rather than pushing it straight. And yeah. this is something we have seen from yeah. Cameron Dawson yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. Is that sometimes you know pushing the ball back into an active yeah. zone is is a bit of a weakness for him. Well, yeah, it's either you push it behind or you, or if you are gonna push it back into the danger zone or whatever, then you've got to get more distance than that. Uh, he was a little unlucky. I I think that. The shot then from De Silva took a deflection off Murphy, a slight one. It's gone through his legs. The fourth goal went through his legs. Uh, but I, I think if you're looking at the five goals, the first one was the, where you'd have to say he's got to take his share of the blame. Uh, going off the fans and their reaction towards him, I'm pretty sure I heard some ironic cheering as well when yeah, he quite made loud, clearances whenever he caught the ball whenever he picked up the ball it, yeah. it, it happened and not just in the immediate aftermath of the game it kind of went on right through the game and that that, that relationship between player and fans there um, you know, you, and, go, and you go all the way back to, yeah. to at Sheffield United where yeah. he saved a penalty yeah. and you kind of think that was a high point for yeah. Cameron Dawson um, you know now we've we've hit a real kind of Low point. Oh no, let's not forget Norwich before that Sheffield United game as well, where they the fans were effectively having a pop at Cameron Dawson by chanting for Kieran Westwood to be recalled. Yeah. And then you've you've had last weekend. And by the way, I don't think that's the first time either. I think I've seen it or heard it at home games yeah, no, where he's yeah. had ironic cheers when he's made um, kicks upfield or come to collect the ball. It's not going to do anything for his confidence. And what makes that worse for me, that situation, is that is a goalkeeper who is come through the ranks. He's one of their own. He is. And Wednesday fans were chanting that as well, I think, either before kickoff or at the start of the game. So, real sort of almost mixed messages of where that's not fully getting behind your number one and who Gary Munker said he's my goalkeeper and he's here to stay I, I do think though on form that you how can you possibly leave him for me in the team right now I uh, and yeah it risks damaging damaging maybe his development and push pushing him back a bit he's but he's not a kid He's 24 and he's played 50 plus times in the championship and we've got to stop 
you know, sort of thinking that Wildsmith and Dawson are sort of young pups when they're not. They, they, you know, these are now goalkeepers who both of them have played over 50 times at this level. So they're not seasoned pros in the championship. But some of the errors that Dawson is making, uh, you know, you can't defend. You can't. Uh, and, and yeah, I will constantly on this podcast have a go and question that fragile defence and the lack of protection that he's been getting in front of him, especially in 2020. But we have now seen, what, four, five errors, high-profile errors since, really, he signed a new contract or around that QPR cup tie. So Kieran Westwood made half a dozen mistakes in the first half of the season. What happened? He was dropped, and we haven't seen him since November. So, how, when do we reach the point of where Joe Wildsmith has to come in? I think we have. I agree. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any argument for that. But I think we 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 can then. I mean, surely we've got to apply that to some other players. You know, um, Tom Lee's form is just—it's disastrous. It's terrible. You know, I've 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 not seen uh, a defender who's shown what he can do that has hit such a bad form of uh, a bad run of form right now that that Tom Lees has, has it's got. the inconsistencies but, of Tom Lees though of where that's the, is, is, we've never seen it in a Wednesday shirt have we of where I actually thought was it Charlton at home he played he was one of the better performers that day and then against Derby one of his worst ever displays in a Wednesday shirt then he came on in the second half at City was solid enough did alright on the left hand side of the back five and then on Saturday, like that third, like for him to be outpaced and, and caught so out of position for that ball that has gone through. Uh, and then there was also a moment where Brentford should have scored earlier, where again, a Brentford defenders cut inside of him easily. It's sort of like he slowed down to the pace that we saw at the end of Glenn Leuven's days yeah. with Wednesday. That's sort of how it feels a little bit at the moment. Uh, but but the pro- what you're saying is, you in, in normal circumstances, you'd take him out, wouldn't you, of the firing line. Yeah. What have Wednesday got? Well, what have they got at centre-half? So Julian Burnham, I think, is going to be fit for Saturday. So he's going to come back in. You see, the Tom Lee situation, this one, for me, is where... I find it more baffling that Gary Monk has completely frozen out David Bates. That's where, when you've sold Jordan Thornley in January, you didn't bring another centre-half in. You've then ostracised David Bates in the same way as you have done with Sam Hutchinson, Kieran Westwood, Sam Winnell, Jordan Rhodes. You've, You've said, they're not part of my plans. Fair enough, but look at what you've got. And you've got players out of form. And then you've had injury issues there. So you have to question the the management, really, for me there. And that's where Gary Munkard defend him on a lot of things, on not having his own staff, only having a transfer window where he's brought loans in, etc. You can't, for me, defend that. I, I, that David Bates has only played once, hasn't he, in a Wednesday shirt? What a yeah, waste well of money that's been, really. Yeah, you know, totally. you know like a season-long loan where he's now training with the under-23s and has only played once, never in the championship, to not even have him on the bench. I, 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 fair enough if he's not impressed in training, and by all accounts, I think that's what it is. But I, when you are struggling... Uh, in defence I just find it bizarre really I mean yeah uh, uh, it, at the moment if we're playing players who are impressing in training but then not doing it when they go out on a football pitch that ain't working so yeah. you know, you've got ample reason to say right well let's just change this let's try someone that's not impressed in training and see if it works the other way around because how, how does it how I, I hope I'm not going to live to regret these words but how does it get worse than losing 5-0 at Brentford you know how I, I I can't see it, and and I hope to God I'm not proved <laughs> wrong on that. Um, uh, w- w- were there any players that you thought came away with any credibility on um, Saturday? The answer to this is no. Of course, it's no. Were there any players that came away with any less shame than than any others? Bit be made of 
um, Jacob Murphy and his reaction to the fans at the end and perhaps a little bit about kind of his spirit while he was playing um, that there was a, a bit more from him than anyone else he was the one that went over to the fans and, and there was a genuine quite emotional kind of apology from him to be fair I thought there were quite few actually who did that of, uh, at the end they weren't hiding there I'd, I'd they, gone so I well, can't I can't you know, well, I'm only going on what I've, I've heard I, th- I think quite a few went a few I, I know a few Wednesday fans who went at half time so yeah the, uh, the queue to get out at half time was longer than the queue for the toilets at half time yeah. and, and that's you know that yeah. It's not. It's not a hard ground to get out of Griffin, uh, no. Griffin Park. No, I, I, that's what again annoys me. Really, is that uh, players sort of fronted up when they had to do the walk of shame leaving the ground. When I, I really what I wanted to see was them actually not hide on the pitch, which is what they did, and that's what Gary Monk said. And he's right. And it was so. It was so embarrassing. And I thought Jacob Murphy was one of the few. Um, Bright sparks, or, or one of the one of the few who actually showed the old glimpse here and there. Um, you see, someone I wanted to touch on was uh, Alessio De Cruz, of where uh, you know, again Wednesday changed formation, and I, I just don't know for the life of me what Alessio De Cruz. When you're talking about individual errors, and this is what. You can't legislate for his manager. And then this is again where you defend Gary Monk. But what was Alessio de Cruz doing for the second goal to turn back into trouble, go back in to the penalty area by trying to do a clever turn and then his pockets being picked. And it's a wonder goal and you can't fault Cameron Dawson there. It's an incredible strike. One of the best goals of the weekend. But it's sort of that decision making. This is where this team is right now. And it's so, so frustrating. And it doesn't matter how much Gary Monk chops and changes formation, chops and changes the team. He can't find an answer. He's not finding solutions right now. Which then brings us on to what the heck are they going to do on Saturday? What would you do? I mean, we um, it's funny, isn't it? We went we went to Forest and kind of gave them a bit of a lesson in football earlier in the season. How the tables have, have kind of turned now um, to where we find ourselves and the situation that um, Forest are in. Um, let, let's kind of get the practicalities out of the way. So as we record right now, it's Thursday morning. Um, at, at the moment, the game is going ahead. It's going ahead with fans in the stadium. Um like possibly maybe likely to be the last game for a while where there will be fans in the stadium we'll we'll kind of see what what happens um and it's been a weird week for forest you know that whatever their plans have been have, have been disrupted they've all had to be tested for coronavirus and that's come back uh negative on all the players and and staff so you know fingers crossed the game goes ahead as as planned um but you know forest find themselves now in a situation where they're looking up um and and you know they're one of the teams that are going to be around the 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 mix of the playoffs come what may um wednesday um when we went there and won we were very much part of that which which we're not anymore nothing's particularly changed in terms of um player availability obviously junior Bur- uh, julian burner being kind of back in the the mix gives at least an option there and and it's a straightforward one i mean burner's not been in great form himself but you know tom lee's after that performance on on saturday absolutely has to be uh, dropped so you know you would think that, that that change would happen beyond that i mean what do you do because if you are gary monk you've got an excuse to change things again yeah. but how many times can we just keep throwing a bit more mud at it I think he has to throw Massimo Luongo straight back in. He's back in training. He's trained the last couple of days. So if he comes through unscathed, Luongo is an absolute must for me. Even a 70% Luongo right now has to get in that midfield. They badly need some inspiration from somewhere. So Luongo, for me must start if and if he doesn't start on Saturday then he has to at, at Bristol City we are reaching the point of desperate times call for desperate measures so players who are having to maybe play through the pain barrier or have a few bumps and niggles Wednesday need results right now so a bit of positivity as well is that Adam Reach maybe might be back on the bench. Well, yeah, well, he's been out since uh, the 1st of February with a toe injury, so I think he's missed eight matches. Uh, So, yeah, Adam Reach possibly, 
he could be on the bench maybe or in the squad at the weekend or certainly Bristol City, West Brom. Oh, God, God, just even thinking about those matches scares me. Um, so, yeah. And then Moses Odebaggio, I don't think, is too far away. Uh, so, actually, injury-wise, that they, 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 they haven't got many now. So this is where, again, you're thinking, not many excuses. We're in a situation where we're looking forward to Moses Odebaggio coming back from injuries. Is that where we're at right now? It's worse than I realised. Right, okay. Um, weird times in football right now. So I'm not I'm not at the game on Saturday. I, I was never going to be because I'm in Germany for the weekend to go and see my other team. Um, cute cute abusive t- tweets. Um that that game um, in Germany is now behind closed doors. So I'm I'm going and I've got to go and sit in a pub down the road from the stadium to watch the game with everyone because there's no fans allowed. Um, that's that's going to be the case in Germany until um, at least probably the last game of the season um, because there's there's a, a ban on public gatherings until the end of April. So I mean, really, in Germany, you kind of think, well, that's it now this season. Either all games will take behind closed doors or there's a worst case scenario beyond that and we don't know what that would be but if you know if the season can't finish who knows what happens um we seem really close to a similar sort of thing now in the in the UK so kind of said earlier maybe this weekend will be the last game for a while where but the weather will be fans maybe not maybe there'll be a couple more I don't know maybe the you know things will move quite quickly today and there won't even be fans there on Saturday I, I don't know it's impossible to kind of predict what happens from this point onwards but it seems fairly inevitable that that's the direction that we're going to be heading in um what does that mean for Sheffield Wednesday because look it's a horrible situation and let's you know kind of make that that clear and and you know football kind of feels quite irrelevant at the, the side of it but um we've bemoaned the fact that Wednesday's home form has been pretty dire this season lowest number of goals scored at home in the championship I think is I think right so. and various other awful stats about Wednesday's home form um so uh, the talk of this toxic atmosphere at Hillsborough and and all this kind of stuff if if you're playing games in empty stadiums, then that to me seems a little bit of a leveller. You know, if there's a complaint, well, the players don't like playing in front of the home crowd for this reason or that reason. Well, if there's no home crowd there, that's not a, a problem. Is is this some kind of pseudo benefit to Wednesday? It may be. I, I, I don't know. But then over the years, in my time of watching, covering the club, when the place is bouncing, when the fans are really on side and supportive and getting behind the team, there are a few better places in the but country. But that's not going to happen this season. Well, well at the moment, no. Well, at the moment, so, no, you might possibly write that it could benefit Wednesday in the short term if we do get to the point of where the matches do start to get played behind closed doors. It, but like I say, it's impossible to say with any degree of certainty what's going to happen but you do look across Europe and in America right now with the situation and coronavirus the threat of it and the way that uh, you know we've and what we've seen with Nottingham Forest this week with their owner so you, they can't take any chances they've got to put safety first of course they have to you know you're right that it, it football almost becomes irrelevant and that it puts things into perspective. And so, um, but for the clubs, of course, if you get to the stage where matches are behind closed doors, it's the loss of revenue. That uh, So that's going to hit them hard. And so that, and then when you also think about the TV deals, especially in the Premier League, that's why the clubs and the TV companies, they'd be pushing as hard as he possibly can to try and keep the, the you know to keep the show going yeah so it's, it's a tricky it's, one it's, I mean it's this is a totally uncharted um, territory you know there is there is a kind of a a, a a nuclear option here whereby if if games just can't happen what what happens then you know, as Wednesday fans, we'd love the idea of them just saying, tell you what, this season, null and void. Let's just scratch the whole thing off and let's start again in August. We can just put it all down to being, it was a bad dream. Never happened. Doesn't matter. We can ship out all the awful players, get some new ones in. Like we can just, and and, and start afresh and just forget that it ever happened. That obviously is not going to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, what is going to happen? Well, I say it's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't think we can rule anything in or out right, right now. And, um, you know, it is going to be uh, just uh, so 
fascinating and 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 in, in and not in a good way to kind of just see how things unfold in the in the next few uh, in the next few weeks. But I guess all I'd say is to any Wednesday fans going on Saturday. Enjoy it. I know it's not great at the moment, but it might be the last football that we see for a while in person. So, you know, let's just try and have something that's that's not a real horrible, toxic atmosphere on um, on on Saturday. Yes, and while we're looking for positives, Wednesday have already beaten Forest this season. Forest got smashed in their last outing. You know, three 0 at home to Millwall. That was a big surprise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Foresters have been really up and down actually uh, in the last sort of six weeks or so. They've been very Jekyll and Hyde, very similar to Wednesday, but they are still fifth in the table. Uh, And you do look at some of the four players they've got. Joe Lowy, I think, on his day is one of the best in this division. Lewis Graben, the last three years has shown he pretty much guarantees you 20 goals minimum a season. Uh, So Wednesday are going to have to watch out. And then they've also got uh, people like Sami Amiobi as well, who uh, can be a handful. Um, Adia Carby they brought in from Huddersfield is is lightning quick. They've got a lot of players who are on the counter-attack that, yeah, Wednesday... They're going to have to be so much better defensively than what we've seen. And I think, for me, that's what I want to see this week, really. I think over the next three matches is that um, Wednesday have to get the basics right. I just want them to actually show the sort of performances and form defensively that they showed when Gary Monk first came in. That's what I want to see. Uh, But whether that's going to materialise and happen I don't know but I would play 4-4-2 I think that's can, what can I, we can we make our weekly prediction for Alex Hunt to make his full debut no <laughs> no no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm going to do it I'm going to well, do it well no no. I, I, I'd like Alex Hunt I think Alex Hunt actually deserves to have played by now we've said it before I think we've seen I, pretty but, clear signs but, that but right now would you Gary be Monk throwing any be. more youngsters into the mess for, from from I the wouldn't. point of view of their development, probably not. From from the point of view of where we're at, and um, uh, I, I'm just going on this theory that I, I don't think it can get any worse. So I'd rather see players that I think are part of the future rather than part of the past um, or responsible for the present, which is worse than being part of the past, to be honest. Um, all right. So our opinions this week, we're going to go back to the conversation that we were just having, actually, and just throw this open in terms of the fact that, look, you know, it's... Um, it is what it is. If Wednesday end up playing the rest of the season behind closed doors, is it a blessing in disguise for Wednesday to be playing at Hillsborough without any fans there? Um, so we'll throw this open for your comments on um, Twitter. Speaking of which, you can catch Dom at Dom Housen. I'm at James Marriott. Or contact the show at Dom and James. Thank you to our gold sponsor, Taito Law, who you can get at titolaw.co.uk. Thank you for joining us. If you like singing the blues, please rate and review the show in your podcast app. Up the owls and see you next week. (laughs) 